this has been on my heart and I want to share with you this morning consider this a giant counseling session Lord's been putting some things on my heart and I've been working out some series of different kinds of messages to hit like in the fall for about eight weeks or so and then you know to keep a constant consistent theme but the thing that's been on my heart because I've had so many issues in terms of people and conversations and people's struggles and things that I hear from time to time about you know being able or not able to let go Lord's just worked this one in my heart all week long and there's a big, big misconception and a misunderstanding about true forgiveness. And I want to address that this morning. I want to address that in a biblical way, in a therapeutic way. Uh, you know, I, I want to just bring out some things that you think about but can't put your finger on or identify it in so, such dark terms. And so today I want to um, talk about the power of true forgiveness. And address the issues that sometimes defy us and deny us. So I have some papers here that I want to hand out. This is not a fill out quiz like last week. I want you to write in the scriptures that I am going to be calling on and talking to you about this week. I think I have enough for everybody. Just give me one. Okay. And um, these are some, some issues that we have discovered you know how I like to quote the Barna group the Barna group is the largest organization as it relates to Christian polling and Christian data if you want to find out anything about Christianity on a host and myriad of issues you might be well to read a Barna group or Barna study he got volumes of books in the library in the bookstores and stuff like that and so this I use this to kind of drive home my point today because the Barna group conducted a study on forgiveness 96% of the people responded and that paper in your hand shows the breakdown of that response to this question with regard to Christianity and forgiveness and as you can see there was this question asked uh, can you have forgiveness and repentance can you have forgiveness and consequences forgiveness and reconciliation forgiveness and forgetting these are some of the major issues that people tie to forgiveness, forgiveness and repentance. And it says there at the first one, you cannot honestly forgive someone unless that person shows some remorse for what they did. 62% of the people agreed with that. And let me give a, 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 a spoiler alert here. All the answers were basically wrong. I will develop that as we go along. Forgiveness and consequences. People say, well, if you really forgive someone, you would want that person to be released from consequences of their actions. 60% of the people agreed with that. Forgiveness and reconciliation. If you genuinely forgive someone, you should rebuild your relationship with that person. 73 people say, yeah, 
the wrong. Forgiveness and forgetting. If you really forgiven someone, you should be also able to forget what they have done to you. Wrong. So let's get into this this morning. Hmm? Father God, I ask you to just take these words, this message, Lord, and penetrate a searching, seeking heart. Lord, bring clarity to someone who may not have had such clarity, O oh God. And, 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 and drive this truth home, Lord, that what true forgiveness and repentance is all about. And to therefore receive the power of that forgiveness working inside us, Lord. This is my humble, simple prayer. Teach us and show us and bring true to us, Lord, the power of forgiveness. It's about self-interest. Do I preserve myself in this, Lord? Teach us today. Open our eyes, Lord God. Father, make this so simple but so real. I ask it in Jesus' name. And so I jump straight off to the, the, to the, the, to the Word of God. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. It says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, I preached this back a few weeks ago, right? Remember that? I, I, I dwelled into this thing uh, about forgiveness uh, when we were looking at James, and we, we spent some time on it. But I got a new dimension in it when I read that Barna survey. So, but if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Of the 96% of those who surveyed agreed with one or more of these statements. Almost everybody invariably agreed with one or more of these statements. They are wrong from a biblical perspective. And remember, I have always portrayed, I seek biblical truth, not social ideologies or social ideas, not comforting thoughts that make you feel good. A man do it that which is right according to his own eyes. No, I seek biblical truth. So a lot of these are wrong from a biblical perspective. This clearly then demonstrates the, the misunderstanding that surrounds the subject of forgiveness. So today, I want to revisit each of these statements. I've given it to you already. So here, let's jump into it. Forgiveness and repentance. Here's a misconception based on the result of the service and based on the high percentage of people who said X, Y, and Z with regard to that. You cannot honestly forgive someone unless that person shows some remorse for what they did. What about the person who never asked for forgiveness? What about those who won't even acknowledge that they're wrong? Should they expect to receive forgiveness from us? And more importantly, should we be required to give it? In other words, is repentance a requirement for getting or granting forgiveness to others? Can you honestly forgive someone who is unaware that they've hurt you? Unmoved by the fact they have offended you? Unwilling to admit their mistake? 
unable to ask forgiveness because of illness or death. Can you? I see your clocks turning here. <laughs> Let's keep this up. There are a few faulty arguments people use for demanding repentance before granting forgiveness. I'm going to give you a couple of them. Right? A few faulty reasons people demand. You got to do this first before I could uh, forgive you. Forgiveness, one of them is forgiveness needs to be earned. Think about that. I can't forgive you because you need to earn this. You need to work this out. You got you, you to gotta do something. You got to just cook this thing up to, until it pleases me or satisfies some curiosity or deep need inside of me to justify or release. Forgiveness needs to be earned. Those who demand that their offender earn forgiveness by demonstrating sorrow are operating under the illusion that somehow their offender's uh, Repentance will be sufficient to cover the offense. The words, I am sorry, which I dealt with a few weeks ago, may bring momentary relief to a wound, but they are insufficient in themselves to effect permanent healing. I'm sorry will always bring a soothing balm in a moment. It will dispel, diminish, and display some of the hostilities and the apprehensions that you're experiencing. Which would be a platform to move on to a more permanent healing. So don't get me wrong. I'm sorry is a valuable tool in the whole regime of forgiveness. Salvation is like that. We are not just saved because we told God, I'm sorry. We are saved because God chose to forgive us. You could say I'm sorry all you want. If the person don't choose to forgive you, bah, nothing's working there. Are you with me this morning? Right? Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 says this. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast it is the gift grace you are saved by grace god's unmerited favor you didn't do anything to deserve it you weren't all that good pretty nice fine rich none of those things mattered to god it was the grace of god that extended to you and it became a gift to you i god chose to forgive you And those who forgive their offender before he expresses any remorse, in effect, wearing a big sign that says, kick me. You know how we think that kind of stuff, you know? If I just go ahead and forgive him, it's just like painting a bullseye on my back. It's like hanging a, 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 when we were small in school, we used to do that, stick paper on people's back, remember that, those of you who, <laughs> unbeknownst to them, and it says, kick me, you know? It's almost like, I'm a sucker, you know, just kick me. And so, this, 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 this need that sometimes we want to feel to just remorse, I mean, forgive people uh, of whatever they think, without even they trying to have, without they even having any kind of remorse or effect, that's saying, kick me. Aren't we doing a fundamental disservice 
to both be offending ourselves by absolving him from his sin without at least waiting for a sincere apology? I'm going to challenge your mind this morning. So hear me out. Don't jump yet before I come to the end. I am bringing forth the misconceptions and some of the fallacies and some of the fault and the non-biblical perspectives on forgiveness. What is being overlooked with this kind of thinking is the very nature of grace itself. When you think that way and act that way, you're denying the very essence of grace. Grace is an unmerited favor of God. Listen, you don't deserve to get it. But you get it. That's how God operates. He chooses to forgive you even while you're not even repentant. Because it's a deliberate decision to give something good to someone who doesn't deserve it, grace kind of invites abuse then. Think about it. Let your mind play around with it. I, I forgive you before you even initiate some kind of ask and, and, and I almost invite you to abuse me again. And, and what I'm doing in that moment is I'm offering grace and because I'm offering grace, grace seems to invite abuse. But God still chose to take that risk with us. To offer grace in the face of an open invitation for you to abuse him again. You hear me? It is up to us whether we abuse the gift of forgiveness or not. And it's also up to our offender whether he or she abuses our forgiveness towards them. The downside of forgiveness is that it invites further abuse. But the upside is that it exposes us to a higher way of living. The downside is I'm so easy and then they're going to abuse me again. The upside is I am learning a higher way of living. Which is God's ultimate purpose in all of this. Romans chapter 5 verse 20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abound, grace did much more abound. So, I gotta forgive you. In the presence of sin, there's grace. But the more sin expresses itself, the more grace abounds to overcome sin. Are you getting that? You gotta get that thought. Here is sin. And sin has its own multiplication theory about how it works. But here's God saying, whenever sin comes up, more grace. More grace. It's teaching me a higher form of living. That I forgive and I offer grace even in the midst of sin. Romans chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we 
them that are dead to sin live any longer therein. As I change, as I come to a higher form of living, I abandon sin and I don't practice that anymore. Second point of that first misconception was that forgiving an unrepentant person is unscriptural. The strongest argument people offer for demanding repentance and apology before offering forgiveness is that the Bible seems to require Turn on your sharp ears here. I'm getting very technical, clinical in the office kind of setting when you come in for a session because you can't let go of something. (laughs) The strongest argument that they offer, needing that an apology, before they give forgiveness, as they say, the Bible requires it. After all, if God requires us to acknowledge our sin before he forgives us, and we are to forgive others the same way God has forgiven us, then shouldn't we require our offender to repent before we forgive him? Seems logical, right? Wrong. Wrong. There is a crucial difference between receiving and granting forgiveness. Say that with me. There is a crucial difference between receiving and granting forgiveness. The issue of repentance is vitally important to receiving forgiveness. But totally irrelevant to granting forgiveness. It is vitally important to receiving, but totally irrelevant to granting. In other words, repentance is required for the offender, but should not be required for the offended. I got to walk in grace. Romans 5 8. Let me give you the Bible back up on what I just said. But God commanded his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died first. So go back and look at this. In other words, repentance is required for the offender but should not be required by the offended we offended God listen God offered us forgiveness before we asked for it because he was the offended party but we must repent before we can receive forgiveness because we are the offending party. Making sense? <laughs> From God's viewpoint, biblical forgiveness is unconditional. Go back to that verse I just read. Romans 5 8. But God commanded his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Unconditional love. You were in such a bad state, but he didn't use that as some sort of prerequisite to process you out or eliminate you out of his forgiveness. It's unconditional love. He was the offended. We were the ones that doing the offending. The best reason to forgive 
unconditionally is the emotional and spiritual healing it brings into our lives. Trust me. If you want to lose some serious spiritual baggage and weight as it were. In deliverance, one of the things I absolutely necessary demand is we have to forgive and we have to repent. Walking with unforgiveness is like carrying around a person on your back. So, forgiving unconditionally releases the emotional and spiritual baggage that we carry and it brings that kind of healing into our lives. So often when people think about forgiveness, they think about what it's going to do for someone else. What we don't realize is that forgiveness is really an act of self-interest. We're doing ourselves a favor when we cut ourselves loose from being an emotional victim of someone else's wrong. Loose yourself from it. That's what we do. Whether our offender repents or not is between them and God. Don't let their wrong become an issue between you and God. I've often maintained it's not the stuff that people do to us as much as it's how we respond to what they did to us that keeps us in bondage. We respond with all kinds of anger and hostility and hatred and circumcising and, and cutting them out. So Okay, so that's, that's one, right? That was the first one, forgiveness and repentance. Let us look at another aspect of the fallacy of this service. Forgiveness and consequences. So here's the question and here's the statement. If you really forgive someone, you would want that person to be released from the consequences of their action. Oh, this is a big one with me. Are you going to preach for me today? <laughs> if you really forgive someone, you would want that person to be released from the consequences of action. One of the greatest barriers to forgiveness is the myth that forgiving someone automatically frees them from any consequences of their action. Such a misunderstanding makes many people hesitant to forgive or it condemns them to a life of unnecessary bitterness. Let that talk into your spirit for a second. You see me, well, if I forgive him, he, he just get off scot-free. <laughs> no, no, we, we, we're going to develop that. Stay with, stay, stay with me. What about the church treasurer? <laughs> I'm just making up stories now, okay? <laughs> what about the church treasurer who is caught embezzling the funds, stealing the money, stealing the wiki offering? If he publicly confesses and pays the money back, then shouldn't the church restore him to his position if they've really forgiven him? Even you looking at me like I'm crazy. He stole the money. He paid it back. So, in order for me to show that I've really forgiven him, I need to put him back in that same possession. Which one of you are going to do that? So, keep in mind, Forgiveness and consequences here now. 
You don't just absolve because you did that and you kind of semi-paid back or you did some kind of, you know, namby-pamby restoration. You know, what about a husband who cheated on his wife and broke up their marriage? And they are established family, you know, children and stuff like that. If his wife really forgives him, should she quit making him pay for his mistake over and over again by demanding child support every month? <laughs> of course, if you forgive me, you need to stop the child support payment. You break up the family, you're gone. I forgive you now. Okay, don't pay anymore. Or the chick going kids going to eat leaves off the tree you know, there are consequences forgiveness and consequences let's just amp that situation up a degree of difficulty in his infidelity she has a child oh boy what are you going to do about that she forgive me what do I do go annihilate the child you have at least 18 years ahead of you with all kinds of payments and all kinds of issues until they get out on their own. Forgiveness and consequences. What about a convicted child molester being done terrific? A convicted child molester who has paid his debt to society and, and, and now wants to work in the Sunday school department. Well, we're talking about forgiveness and consequences. These are some of the fallacies that uh, I was watching something on, on SVU and, and it kind of prompted me because I don't want to get off into TV but it, it was this girl who ran away and got pregnant and they were like diehard, extreme, extreme pro-life and they were like, you know, forgive him and, and, and one arguing for, well, have the baby, not have the baby, forgive him, not put him in jail because he said he's sorry. <sighs> Forgiveness and consequences. What about that child molester? He, 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 he's a child molester, dude. And, 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 and he's asked God for forgiveness. And do we put him back in the Sunday school department with little children? No. Is the church really demonstrating forgiveness? If they restrict him from working with the children for the rest of his life? friend who was a pastor and he got caught up in that pedophilia thing and he went to prison and I used to visit him in prison place I never wanted to go for no reasons at all not even to visit if you go to jail and I don't come and look for you, please don't hold it against me. I don't like that place. It's as simple as that. But I do my job all the same. I still go. Well, nearing what was seen to be his time, he sent a special request that I should put him back as head of children's department. And I couldn't get it through to his wife they would bury me under the jail I'm a mandated reporter right? 
if I put you back there knowing what atrocities you've committed and anything was to happen he may get off they would have to pipe daylight to me under the jail because they would consider that reckless absolutely reckless there are consequences for actions so don't get forgiveness and consequences mix up with well I forgive them and then be totally restored you gotta be playing with half of a brain if you will entertain that kind of stuff that, that kind of idea right what about a murderer who gets saved on death row <laughs> if the victim's family has truly forgiven him for his crime shouldn't they be petitioning the court for his release from jail have they really forgiven him if they want his sentence to still be carried out? Don't get those two things confused, forgiveness and consequences. I'm going to explain. I'm going to cover every point that's questioning your mind right now. What about the Christian who became involved in a moral relationship but has now repented? If the church leadership demand that he or she proves herself before being involved in ministry, isn't that demonstrating an unforgiving spirit? I'm not agreeing with that. I'm challenging your mind. So in other words, you did this thing, and if I don't forgive you and restore you, then I am an unforgiving person? We got to get it straight. With forgiveness and consequences. Forgiveness and repentance. Forgiveness and consequences. 60% of the people agree to it. Well, the same dilemma lies behind each scenario. Does forgiveness automatically erase the consequences of sin? Have I truly forgiven someone if at the same time I insist that they be held accountable for their actions? The answer to this dilemma is found in the important distinction between two words. I'm going to give it to you and then break it down. Two words. Here's the answer to this dilemma. Vengeance and justice. Oh, now you're going to come awake. <laughs> the distinction with respect to this dilemma rests in two, two basic words that you have to get in your head. And one is vengeance and the other is justice. Okay, so you're getting ahead of me here and kind of figuring out where I'm going with this because it's making sense to you now. Hmm? Vengeance is the desire to see another person suffer for the pain they have caused the offended. The Bible consistently warns against harboring this kind of feeling in my heart to need and see vengeance. I want you to pay. I'm glad you asked Romans chapter 12 verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself. You don't seek personal retribution. No. There are times when my mind has wandered into areas where I would love to do something to some people. <laughs> I love to see that RPG go up. Nah, we're moving right along. <laughs> Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, 
but rather give place unto wrath, God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay them, saith the Lord. The two issues that have to resolve this dilemma is vengeance and justice. So we know what vengeance is. I gotta see them pay. Those rat gotta pay. They just gotta pay. Justice is the payment God or society might demand from someone because of a wrong that they have committed against us or against society as a whole. While we are to avoid vengeance, the Bible teaches us to seek justice for those who have been wronged. Fair enough? I gotta let go of vengeance. I personally want you to pay. I want to see you hurt. I won't be satisfied till I see you hurt. Vengeance. Justice says for the wrong that you committed against God and society or the church, there must be a paying, a, 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 a justice that has to be executed to, to right this wrong. Isaiah chapter 117. Let me read it for you in the King James and then I'm going to have it read from the, the, the um, Good News Bible. Isaiah what? 117. It says, Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Crystal, would you read that from the message for me? You hear that? What he's saying? I want you to learn to live right. To do right. Read it again for me slowly. And learn to do right. See that justice is done. See that justice is done. I think I'm reading from the Bible, right? Am I? I think that's in Isaiah 117. See that justice is done. So let's get this forgiveness and consequence thing put in place. You're not going to get out from an eternal perspective. Your sin might be forgiven. You have a place in heaven. But from a consequential uh, temporal position, there are things you do that just going to cost you something. Don't confuse that with that you didn't execute good forgiveness. Because I forgive everything to just roll away and wrap up and put the sidewalk up and let's go home for the night. No, 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 no. Learn to do well. Seek justice. Read on. Help those who are oppressed. Give the deprive their right. Fight for them. Be an activist. And defend the widows. They have no one to fight for them. This is seeking justice. God says, I am to surrender my desire for vengeance. But I can never surrender society's responsibility to seek justice. Doing something wrong and me forgiving you don't mean that the thing is undone. And if it's not undone, then I didn't forgive. And people convict and beat themselves up and, 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 and walk in a place. And, oh, but, but look, he still has to go to jail. I forgive him. Listen, when you're wrong society or wrong God, there's a price that comes with that. 
when you wrong your wife to church, your brother and sister, there's a price that comes with that. Hmm? The Bible teaches us that in addition to God, the government and the church are to be administrators of justice in our society. We are the moral conscience and the voice in our society that rises up and says, that is wrong, that ain't right, that ain't right, irrespective of whatever forgiveness that might be given to you, that ain't right. I saw that trial on television last week or a week before, I guess, where that young police officer shot that man in his house. Did anybody see that? And at the trial, his brother asked the judge, can I hug her? I came to tears. It was so powerful. It was so moving. It was so authentic. And the judge says, and she got a lot of blowback for allowing that to happen. He said, can I hug her? Please, please. And he pleaded with the judge. And she said, yes. And he went up and he hugged that police officer. And he told her how much he was sorry. And he loved her. But she's still going to be incarcerated for 10 years. Forgiveness and consequences. Don't get that mixed up. God deals with us in the same way. When God forgives us, he removes the eternal consequences of our sin. Say that again with me. He removes the eternal consequences of our sin. In other words, you assured yourself a place in heaven. The eternal consequence of sin that you're not separated from God is different from the temporal consequences of sin. The here and now, the things I must pay, the price I must pay, the debt I owe. God removes the eternal complications of my sin. I will not go to hell. But the Lord demands justice. And society demands justice. So he removes the eternal consequences, but not necessarily the temporal consequences of our sin. Why would a forgiving God or a forgiving person still allow someone to suffer such consequences? I'm glad you asked. Because consequences promote order in the society. Consequences promote order in the society what would this world be like if there were no laws no penalties oh let's bring it down home no red lights at the street corner there will be chaos so consequences promote order Genesis 9 chapter 6 let me back it up with scripture Whosoever sheddeth a man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. So God is saying, you took blood, you got to pay blood back. Well, I'll forgive you, all right. I absolutely did. 
you come to this altar and you repent for your sins and God clears that record. The eternal consequences are clear. The temporal consequences will live itself out. Consequences are a deterrent. They act as a deterrent to others. Fear of consequences is perhaps the most powerful incentive for obedience. You know what a lot of people do after they pay the price for what they did? Not going to do that again. It's the consequence that brought them to obedience. Fear of consequences are yet the biggest teacher. Pain is a teacher. Pain is a consequence of something. If you suffer pain and injury for watching it, that helps to motivate you not to do that again. Unless you just love pain. Any volunteers this morning? Because I got a few I could give to you. Uh, pain is still the best teacher. First Timothy 520. Let me back up what I just said with scripture. Oh, I just love doing that. <laughs> 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 20. I love to throw the principle there. And just about when you're going like, well, where did you get it from? I'm glad you asked. 1 Timothy 5 20. Them that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. Rebuke the wrong so that others will fear. Consequences produces order in any society be it an ecosystem of the church your village your city your country your nation consequences promote order because when that hammer drops on you the first time and you feel that donkey kick you the second time you don't want a third kick from the donkey so the consequences brings you to a place where you're like you know what first timothy 5 20 them that sin, rebuke them before all. Just go ahead and let them have it. So that others may fear. And be a little bit apprehensive with respect to doing that thing again. Consequences prevent us from further disobedience. God regularly uses the consequences of sin to bring us back into a right relationship with him and then keep us there. You're all so quiet this morning. Are you getting this? I'm not losing you out in the woods anywhere, right? I'm breaking this. Okay, good. It prevents me from further disobedience. It puts a check on me. I don't want to do this no more. I hurt so bad from what I did the last time. I, I, because they made me pay. They didn't absolve it off of me. I just wiped it away and helped me to walk scot-free. Listen. Easy come, easy go. If there are no consequences for what you did wrong, there's a great chance that you do it all over again. Remember when the Jonestown massacre take place? I remember reading the headline on Time magazine way, 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 how many years ago I was in Trinidad at the time. And it says, a people who forget their past are condemned to repeat it. If there are no consequences, there's a good, good, good chance you go back and do the same thing again. 
Psalm 119, verse 67. Scripture to back up what I just said. Before I, Psalm 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept your word. Now that you've afflicted me, I have a deep sense of do right. Do right. That thing taught me a lesson. Do right. Chuck Swindle, Chuck Swindle, he writes in one of his books, if I sin in the process of sinning, break my arm. When I find forgiveness from my sin, I still have to deal with a broken arm. Forgiveness and consequences. Let's jump to the next one. Yeah? No, hang on. One more point. If you're struggling with hurts inflicted by someone else, release your desire for vengeance and let God pursue justice. Remember those two dilemmas, vengeance and justice. If you're having a problem with hurt that someone did to you, release that desire for that vengeance and let God pursue his justice. On the other hand, if you desire forgiveness, don't be discouraged over the lingering consequences of your sin instead. View them as a gift designed to keep you close to God who loves you. Some of these things will keep you close to God. Remember I told you? Guilt is not your enemy. Guilt is your friend because guilt will drive you to the cross. Stop treating guilt as the enemy. Guilt is your friend that drives you to the cross. All right, forgiveness and reconciliation. Here's what it says. If you genuinely forgive someone, you should rebuild your relationship with that person. What do you think? All right, some of you played close to the verse. Don't make no comment. Because you don't want to know whether you're wrong or right yet. So let me build this up for you a little bit. Right? If I genuinely forgive someone, you should rebuild your relationship with that person. What if someone is hesitant to offer forgiveness to the offender because they have no desire to reestablish a relationship with that person? It might be a spouse who's been unfaithful to them. It might be a friend who cheated on them. It might be a co-worker who has slandered you. Or a relative who has abused you. The Bible teaches that reconciliation is important for two reasons. At least two. Right? First, unity amongst believers testifies to the world of God's power. That's one reason. Unity among believers. Secondly, unity among believers empowers us to resist the attacks of Satan who want to divide, isolate, and conquer us individually. There is spiritual strength in numbers. So we got two things. Unity demonstrate the world of God's power. And secondly, it helps us to receive, re resist Satan's power because we are strong in number, right? So we should reconcile. Based on this theory, 
Matthew chapter 5. Verses 23 and 24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there you remember that your brother had ought against you, not you ought against him, he ought against you. Leave there your gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to that brother and then come off your gift. Man, there's some scriptural evidence for you need to make it right and fix it. No question about that, right? Can't fly in the face of God. <laughs> Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. So we got good scriptural basis for this whole um, forgiveness and reconciliation thing, right? Bible kind of ordered, Bible kind of commanded. <laughs> the Bible teaches that reconciliation is important. But with one major condition. While I can unilaterally forgive any person, I cannot unilaterally be reconciled to my offender because forgiveness depends on me and reconciliation depends on us. can you laterally forgive it is mine to do reconciliation I can't unilaterally create reconciliation because that takes the two of us are you with me Amen. so we got good scriptural basis for it but in spite of all that good scripture that I read you if you don't want to be restored to me or I restored to you there's no unilateral releasing of that stuff <laughs> oh boy this is good <laughs> We need to understand that while reconciliation between Christians is always preferable, it isn't always possible. Can I get an amen? amen. Hmm? God prefers it. Is it always possible? Sometimes that ugly, hardened heart rises up. And it's like, I don't want to. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Here's what the Bible says. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Bible, right? Who's going to argue with the Bible this morning? None of you in here. You Bible-thumping Bible believer. Not one of you will disagree with that word while I can express my desire for reconciliation in a relationship I cannot demand it only if both parties agree then can it be achieved even if someone has truly forgiven me for hurting them it still may take a great deal of time and effort to rebuild a fractured relationship can I get an amen, amen. in some cases Reconciliation may never happen. The pain is too deep. And the heart is not open enough to allow God to walk through those things. And so we just can't get there. Can I get a witness? In some cases, 
reconciliation may never happen. Even though, even though real forgiveness has taken place. It was as real, as real, as real as that $2 bill. Forgiveness took place. But if both or one of the parties involved does not agree, reconciliation wouldn't happen. Forgiveness happened, but reconciliation didn't. Are you with me this morning? Right? I've established good biblical proof and truth that God says we ought to do it. Live at peace with all men and holiness with no man to see God. But unless there comes a meeting of the mind and an agreement of both parties, reconciliation wouldn't happen. Forgiveness will happen. Reconciliation won't. And I got a scripture for that. Amos chapter 3 and verse 3. Can two people walk together except they be agreed? Amos 3 and 3. Can two people walk together unless they agree? That's what the Bible says. If you can't agree, you can't walk together. Oh, don't you love Bible? Yes. <laughs> That's a perfect counterbalance for everything. It'll show you the good and show you the downside. And then we have to throw the human element in there. And when we throw the human element in there, it's like, oh boy, you know, I don't know. Have you ever heard somebody say, I don't know if I could ever get past this pain. Those words ever came out your mouth, <laughs> came out of mine, but I've changed. I can't, I, you do not understand the depth of this pain. And because of this, I can't move forward. I can't work with you. Churches have been destroyed. Marriages have over. Kids have run away. All kinds of devastation because two people cannot agree. Even in the presence of forgiveness taking place, there's no agreement. Hmm? Reconciliation must have these three ingredients in it. One, repentance. Here's how it's going to work. Reconciliation has to have three ingredients in it. One is repentance. Admitting that we are responsible for the wrong that has been done to another person. Whether you feel it, know it, or not so sure about it, it wouldn't hurt to admit, you know, somewhere in there I did something wrong. I have never in my professional and practice life see a relationship that went downhill that one person carried 100% of the blame and the other person had none <laughs> if you have someone like that please make it a teaching moment for me and have them come counsel me I have not seen a 100% one-sided breakdown we all have a hand in some of our own demise we did something. We played a role in it. So one of the ingredients of, of reconciliation is repentance. The other one is restitution. Offering some type of compensation to the person we have wronged for the loss they suffered. Restitution. I, I, I repent. But I want to make you whole. I want to make you whole. I want to fix what I've done. I want to fix the brokenness. I always used to tell the story about my neighbor who, <laughs> I think I preached it here before, who, who, who broke my lawnmower. And, and, and he just, you know, like, bah! just 
broke my lawnmower like, well, you could afford that, Jeff. And I've always said, if he had only just fixed it, and then maybe bought a cheap weed whacker and threw it in with the lawnmower when he brought it back, I could see that this guy was serious. He's, he's not only repenting, he's making restitution. He's throwing a little something else in there to say, I'm really, really sorry. Beyond just fixing this broken thing, let me throw a little extra in there to show you how serious I am about what I've done wrong. Repentance, restitution, and rehabilitation. That's the third aspect of reconciliation. Demonstrating a change in our behavior over a period of time towards the person we've wronged. Reconciliation does not happen instantaneously. That is why offenders are wrong to demand immediate restoration and why the offended are unwise to offer it. Proper healing in a relationship takes time. When someone keeps doing something wrong and keeps saying, I'm sorry, and then tomorrow they go and do it again, they say, I'm sorry, and then next week they do it again, and they say, I'm sorry, and then they do it next month again and say, I'm sorry. You know what's going to happen to you? You're going to shout out one of these days when critical mass hits you. If you're so doggone sorry, stop doing it. Stop doing it. I'm tired of your sorry. It does. Your sorry means nothing. It doesn't mean anything. You're re-injuring me again and again and again and again. And somehow you think, sorry. Remember that forgiveness and repentance thing we talked about at the beginning? Sorry. Sorry and creating a permanent healing. Because you keep reminding me over and over again by breaking the very thing you said you wouldn't do, doing it all over and over again, right? So, reconciliation wouldn't happen instantly. And, and, and here's the thing about an offender. This is counseling 101. An offender gets over what he's done really, really quick. The offended is still reeling from the pain and bleeding. And the offender comes and says, You're still with that? God has been too weak to let it go. Doesn't have the sensitivity to understand that he afflicted pain and he wants you to absolve the pain just like that. So it's unwise for you to fall and capitulate to that and say, Okay, yeah, 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 I forgive you. I mean, no, let it work itself out because if it doesn't, you're going to end up with guilt and bitterness and all kinds of remorse because you've been, it's like bias remorse, you've been forced to give something, accept a condition, and in your heart or heart, you weren't cured and right yet for it. And so you walk away from that stuff hurting and in deep pain because you were too quick to kind of absorb something and let, didn't let it work itself through you. Are you hearing me this morning? Reconciliation takes time. If two people agree and they want to work on it, it takes time. So let's jump down into the last one now. Forgiveness and forgetting. Forgiveness and forgetting. What it says on your paper, if you're really forgiven someone, you should be able to forget what they have done to you. Let me see all those who agree. 
Wow, you're a smart crowd. No, I haven't taught you that way. I remember distinctly telling you a whole lot of times in the past, God didn't wire that way. If you start forgetting everything that happened, I think you're approaching senility. You don't forget like that. But I'm going to break that down for you and clearly draw it out to you. Contrary to what many people believe, forgetting is not a test of genuine forgiveness. Write that in your notes if you have to. Forgetting is not a genuine test of forgiveness. Forgetting something is not a genuine means of, oh, I, I, I forgive that. I, for, I forgot it. I, you don't work that way. Don't try to fool me. We don't work that way. Hmm? Attempting to force yourself to forget a hurt simply results in bitterness or guilt because we continue to remember in spite of ourselves. I'm going to tell you something here in a minute that is going to be the revelation of your life. And I thank you. And I thank you for receiving this revelation. You see, if God has really forgiven me, why do I keep remembering my sin? Maybe I haven't genuinely repented. If I've really forgiven my offender, why can I forget what they did to me? Maybe I haven't really genuinely forgiven him or her. But doesn't God forget our sins? And isn't his forgiveness to us a model for our forgiveness to others? I got a scripture for that. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, said the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And God has a way of forgetting and forgiving. I'm so glad we're not God. God has a unique ability to forgive and forget. That's what he said. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. So it means, therefore, then, that God will obviously remember our bad deeds in a literal sense. This you got to hear carefully. God will remember my bad deeds in a literal sense. In a literal sense. But he will not remember it in a judicial sense. What is the difference between remembering something in a literal sense and in a judicial sense? In a judicial sense, I have punitive measures attached to it. In a literal sense, I record what you've said. I record what you've done. I'm cognizant of what it is, but I'm not holding a judicial punitive act against you. So God remembers literally, but does not apply a judicial sense to his remembering. Are you getting this? Oh man, y'all are so quiet. I'm the only one working myself up. I seem like I'm excited with my own message. Wow. He has chosen to eternally erase the consequences of an action that we have repented of. Eternally. 
judicially. He's re erased it. The consequences of the things that I've done, the actions that I repented of. Romans chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. He will not judicially condemn. But you are not God. <laughs> and I am not God. You know, this whole ministry thing and Christianity thing, the Lord told me, oh, it's been many, many, many years ago. He said, this is the business of God in the hands of men. <laughs> Run with that. What, 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 what a concept that is. The business of God in the hands of men. That is the fallacy, right? That is the end all and be all of the situation. We're taking God's business and putting it in the hands of men to judicial appropriate God's business. God's business in the hands of men. What a what a prospect. <laughs> All right? We're not God. Why? Why, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because my memory fails me often. Sometimes by forgetting things I want to remember, and by sometimes remembering things I want to forget. That's how come I'm not God. That's how I can't take a God perspective. He remembers not, and he imputes not. But my problem is, I forget. I forget things I should remember, and I remember things I should forget. I do it back and forth. Hmm? So here's the thing you need to remember as we look at forgiveness and forgetting. Forgetting is a function of the brain. Forgiving is a function of the spirit. I was practicing this concept with Daniela last night because she kind of previewed my message and she was asking some questions well, well let's finish I said wait till in the morning like everybody else <laughs> and I said okay I'm going to give you a snippet because here's the confusion that was in her mind like it will be in most everybody's mind why it is that I keep remembering that someone did me wrong does it mean that I did not forgive because if I forgive I'm supposed to forget the whole thing no 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 forgetting is a function of the brain forgiveness is a function of the spirit that you just got for free my goodness you ought to resolve not your issues but a lot of people's issues when they deal with this forgiveness issue and they have issues with it and problems with it that thing about forgetting is a function of your brain totally separate from how your spirit would work your spirit will apply the forgiving element to a crime your brain pre-wired that way will play it over and over and over again it's two separate things. Brain, spirit. Are you here with me? Amen. Did you get that? Yes. You are wired in such a way that you wouldn't forget. It is how your intelligence is created. Everything depends so much on you being able to remember one thing to the next. Turn right, turn left, put the brake on, turn the light switch on, turn off the stove, turn on the stove. It is that rote memory system that keeps you in balance. Think I'm not doing you think your spirit cares whether you turn off the light or turn it back on? <laughs> your brain tells you if you don't do that, you're gonna stop your feet. So forgetting is an issue of the brain, and forgiving is an issue of the spirit. Don't confuse the two. Hmm? 
Our brain is capable of at least 600 memories a second. This brain is a phenomenal thing. 1.5 trillion bits of information in your brain in a 75 year lifespan at 600 memories a second. Mathematics equates to 1.5 trillion bits of information if you live to 75 years. Although we may not be able to recall certain events in our life, those experiences are nevertheless permanently recorded in our memory and could resurface at any time based on trigger mechanisms. You hear a song and you remember your girlfriend. Because in this hypothalamus region, the brain it records events and trauma and all kinds of stuff. And something on the outside just triggers it. And boom, you fly back to 15 years ago when you met her for the first time. Because you heard a song. If you don't love me by now, I will never, never hold you. Oh, look at y'all. Look at y'all. Wow, look at y'all. And that was the song playing, Anna, when your husband came to you and said, Will you be mine? And he turns on that music. If you don't know me by now. <laughs> 20 years down the road, if you don't know me by now, comes on the radio and whoops, he jumps into your mind. Because it was triggered. So down the road, there are many things that will trigger your memory. And cause you to remember stuff. Did that mean you didn't forgive? Hmm? Not at all. Not at all. Thus, any time we encourage someone to forget an event, we are asking them to do the impossible. Don't tell people to forgive and forget it. You ask them to do something they can't do. Unless, of course, I, like I said, you are promoting early onset dementia. <laughs> Don't ask me to forget it. I will remember. There are things I can do about that. Hmm? In fact, struggling to forget a past event can have just the opposite effect. It's searing the thought more deeply into your memory. You know, like the guy who said, um, this stick that I gave you here <coughs> If you hold this thing really good and you do it like that, after about the next half an hour, this will start to turn into gold. And so you may need to get a whole lot of handkerchiefs and do like that and turn it into gold. The one thing I want you to remember is, is, is don't ever bring a yellow monkey into your thoughts. <laughs> yellow monkey. Why do you have to go say that? That's all I'm going to think about now while I'm trying to make gold a yellow monkey. Therefore, I can't make gold with my kerchief. That's how your mind works. That's how your mind works. Struggling to forget something and dwelling on it literally creates the opposite effect and causes a burning and you can't get away from it. Forgetting offenses is not humanly possible and neither is it profitable. In fact, remembering our past failures causes us to what it's good to remember your past failures because it causes you to express gratitude towards God I am so thankful 
I could have been a crispy critter. I want to see him pay for what he did, but boy, I did just as worse, just as bad or worse. It expresses gratitude, God. What does remembering my past and my own failures call me to extinguish pride within myself? What's another thing it does? It caused me to exhibit grace to other people. If only I could remember how wretched I was and what God has brought me from. I could be a little bit more gracious to you because I am walking in the mercy that God has given to me and set me free. Right? So those three things are expressing gratitude to God, extinguishing my pride, I'm coming off my prideful position, and I'm exhibiting grace towards others. How can I then handle memories of a past hurt? Ready? Four things I'm going to tell you. I'm coming to the end. Four things. How can I handle memories of past hurt? One, do not cultivate the memories. Don't go digging it up. It'll come of its own. We call it in the psychology intrusive thoughts. In the early days, they used to call it thoughts of evil and evil thoughts. And I used to be sitting on there going like, what's the difference? But there is a difference. <laughs> you, you learn to discern the difference between thoughts of evil and evil thoughts. So, so don't go cultivating the memory. Don't, don't go digging it up. Don't go salivating in it. Don't go nursing your wound. Don't use it as a panacea. Don't make it your, your homemade cocaine where it gives you a certain amount of pleasure to just sit down there. You know what he did to me. You know what she did to me. I mean, you're getting high off of your pain and your hurt. You're like, I, I want to nurse this thing. It, it, is an, and it, it is so good. I just want to scratch it back. You, you're just nursing it and nursing it and nursing. You're cultivating a bad memory. You gotta stop letting people have rent-free space in your head. Said that last week. Say it again this week. Stop letting them occupy mental, emotional, and spiritual space inside you for free. You want to get in my head, you have to pay for that. Not about to give you rent. I'm done. When, <laughs> stick a fork in me, I'm done. Just by the very nature of how I'm wired, this stuff will come back to me. I don't need to sit down in the molly grubs and dig this thing up and enjoy a certain kind of soothing pain from enjoying and, and, and just salivating and comforting myself in. You, you, you just hurt me so bad. Don't cultivate it. Do not cultivate it. Instead, to recall your own failures it acts as an offsetting balance if you could recall well you know i did worse than that i did just as bad as that i am here today and somehow i'm not a crispy creature you know i did evil too if every time the devil wants to take me in a place where i enjoy the comforts of my pain i could say to myself you know well, i know you did bad but boy i did some awfully mean stuff too one will cancel out the other. Truth? You can't be preoccupied with that guy's stuff if you remember. I was just as wicked. Just as he... Come on, you're too quiet in here. Come on! <laughs> I am just as wicked. Just as evil. 
Just as diabolical. Now I want to see him pay. I want to see her pay. But oh, I must walk free. No, no, you were just as bad. Three. Remember your decision to forgive. Say to yourself in that moment, I did forgive him. And I may not be feeling him. I did forgive him. I made a conscious, deliberative, regardless of, of forgiveness and repentance, and forgiveness and consequences, and forgiveness and re reconciliation, regardless of all that, I made a conscious decision to forgive. Remember your decision to forgive. For Realize that healing memories take time. Healing memories take time. I bet everybody in here has read the story or heard the story or seen a TV movie with respect to Corey Ten Boom, the author of The Hiding Place. Oh no. Read a book. <laughs> The order of the hiding place, Corrie Ten Boom. She was a Nazi prisoner in camp in Nazi times. And, and she is unable to forget the atrocities committed against her while she had been a prisoner in a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. Sometimes it would be so intense that she was robbed of good sleep just thinking of the event. So finally she sought counsel from, from our pastor who said, up in that church tower bell, there's a bell which is rung by pulling on a rope. But do you know what? After the sexton, and let me explain that because I grew up in old school and um, British school, and we had a sexton, S E X T O N. Anybody know what that is? That's like the church caretaker, presbyter, the guy who prepares the wine, rings the bell. See, I lived in a little village where it, it, we were so tuned into what's going on in the village by the, the, the bell in the church steeple at the church, and, and there was a way and a rhythm that they will ring the bell, and that means somebody died. There's a way they will ring a baby dedicated. And so we're all tuned to how the bell rings because it informs the community. See how old I am? Now you all have WhatsApp and FaceTime and all that kind of stuff. Back when I grew up, we had a bell. And that's how we were informed in the community, by the bell. So he says up in there, there's a bell that rings. The sexton goes up and he rings the bell. And then he lets go of the rope. And after he lets go of the rope, the bell still going ding, 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 dong. The bell keeps on swinging after it has been released. The same is true for forgiveness. When we forgive, we take our hand off the rope. But if we've been tugging at our grievances for a long time, we mustn't be surprised if the old angry thoughts 
keeps coming back for a while because we've been pulling on it so hard and so long that even when we let go, there's still a ding, 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 ding. And it decreases over time because we have removed the force of the pull. I know that was good. It's alright, you don't have to clap. <laughs> when you remove the force of the pull, the ding gets less. We have a word for that. A more modern word. It's called inertia. Anybody want to know what inertia is? Inertia is pent up energy. After it's released, it continues to carry itself. So, let me give you one of the simplest inertia. You're driving down the street with your big old bad truck or car, and your foot is on the pedal, and you're doing about 80 miles per hour, and our force is on. And you take your foot off the gas. Did the car stop? No. There is a built up energy called inertia that was stored from the pressure put against it, the force that was applied so even after you take your foot off the gas, the car continues to go and it comes to a place of rest when the energy in it is spent forgiveness and reconciliation works in the same fashion if you stop cultivating it if you stop applying the force to digging up and remembering, if you remove your hand off the rope, you will still get memories that come back from time to time. But look what he did. Look what he did. Look what he did. And next year this time you're going to like, George who? Sarah who? Ron who? <laughs> Let go of the rope through forgiveness this morning. Let us stand. Amen. Did I get you this morning? Yes. Right? You wrote those scripture down. We clearly dissected, I believe, forgiveness and repentance, forgiveness and consequences, forgiveness and reconciliation, and forgiveness and forgetting. If you want to have a hard heart and be critical of those distinctions, I promise you, you will end up in a miserable place. You'll end up in a miserable place. Let it go. Let it go. You may not be able to recapture every relationship because unilateral forgiveness is totally dependent upon me. But reconciliation is not unilateral. I gotta have another person agreeing with me to have that. And sometimes it may never work out. But that will be to the extent that you want it to and predispose yourself to it. And the other person has to be in that same place too. But after you've done your part and made that genuine effort to do that, if they don't want, you're good. You're good. But don't just not do it. 
don't just hold a critical perspective don't just not do it I think I shared my heart with you this morning I think I heard from God to preach this message and probably next week I'll give another installment on it after now I've cleared up this for you you might be able to understand another part of it a whole lot easier if you understand forgetting and forgetting and forgiveness and consequences and forgiveness and repentance and forgiveness and you know the things that I talk about this morning so father with our heads bowed and our eyes closed and your people are genuinely predisposed this morning to saying I want to be in that place can I get a witness this morning I want to be in that place I don't I want I want forgiveness and repentance I, I, I want forgiveness and reconciliation I want all the things that 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 Pastor Jeff just talked about I want those things and I want the confusion about them gone Father God Lord I understand that you know there are consequences for what I do they will manifest themselves God may forgive me, but there's some things that I've done that society demands justice. God demands justice. He will eternally protect you, but in this here and now, there are things that you might have to pay for for things that you have done. God, so as your people stand before you, Lord, give them a clear heart, a clean heart, a pure conscience, Lord. Take away the stoniness. Take away the stoniness, Lord. Give them a heart of flesh, Lord. Break people. Lord, 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 Randy says revival ought to start in the high desert and ought to start here. Lord, I believe I'm speaking your truth that could bring about revival. It could absolutely bring about revival. If hearts are willing to hear and heed and do the necessary work repentance and reconciliation can be a real thing so grant it unto us lord beyond i'm sorry some restitution some i'm not going to do it again and really mean it i'm not going to do it again lord this is my simple prayer i just release an anointing unto your people lord who are in crisis for one reason or another because of this whole element of forgiveness and understanding the true nature of forgiveness lord lord all the all the the, the hypotheticals that they put forward in the survey why they can't do this and why that can't happen lord help them to understand there's a truth that they have to arrive at you have to arrive at this truth lord god and thereby receive your absolute total repentance it's in jesus